praise this morning. I just need at least 200 people to have a testimony this morning that he turned it around. Hallelujah. Somebody shout in this place. Yes. Woo. High five about eight people on the way to your seat. Tell them he turned it, he turned it, he turned it. Come on, tell him he turned it, he turned it. Woo. If you only knew where God brought me from, you'd understand why I'm praising him like I am today. I just need a few radical Sunday morning saints this. I said if you only knew uh, where he brought me from, uh, you'd understand why I run the aisles. You'd understand why I jump and shout this morning. Come here, Sister Victoria. See, some of y'all coming to church acting cute because you done forgot what God did for you. My Bible says to forget not all of his benefits. Don't you forget what God's done for you. About a year ago, this young lady right here walked in this house and Satan had been lying to her telling her all kind of stories and society didn't know what to do with her she didn't know what to do with herself but she walked up in this building on one Sunday morning our outreach team was out knocking doors one Sunday and they came to one door and it didn't seem like the people there were ready to hear what they had to bring and so as they were turning to leave this young lady came running out and said hold on a second I want to hear what you have to say. So they started talking to her, telling her about what God could do. She came in on a Sunday morning, uh, and God laid his hand on her. Uh, and you know what started to happen? Uh, God started turning things around for her. <laughs> One thing after another started to turn. Uh, she was baptized in Jesus' name, uh, filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, the devil said, no, no, no. But she said, it's too late. God's turning everything around. And she's here this morning giving God the praise because he turned it. I wish I had about 200 radical people in the building that would take about 60 seconds and give God the praise because he Turned it. Uh, somebody that remembers what he did for you. Uh, somebody that remembers where he brought you from. Uh, I dare you to give him a turnaround praise. Uh, I dare you to give him a turnaround praise this morning. Whoa! Come on, give him a turnaround praise.
give God praise. You see me up here this morning uh, with this suit and tie on. Uh, but when I was a 14-year-old boy, uh, I was rejected. Uh, I was down and out. Uh, I had no father in my life. Uh, the school didn't want me. Uh, society didn't want me. Uh, but God reached down uh, and he picked me up uh, and he started turning things around. Uh, and I'm standing here this morning uh, because God turned it. Uh, I need somebody with a testimony uh, to give God the already done. Come on, somebody. The Bible said to praise him for his excellent greatness and to praise him for his mighty acts. But there's some of us here this morning, we're praising him for what he's going to do. Where's Sister Katrina Carey? I thought I saw her this morning. Is she here? Come here, Sister Katrina. when you praise God for what he's already done. But there's an extra dimension of power uh, when you praise him uh, for what he's going to do. Uh, this is Sister Katrina Carey. Uh, and just not too long ago, the doctors gave her a bad report. Uh, and she's been undergoing treatments. Uh, she's been in and out of the doctor's office. Uh, but I saw her over there. Uh, she didn't let nothing stop her from being in the house of God. There's people at home right now uh, with a little headache, uh, a little stuffy nose. There's, there's people. There's people sitting at home this morning uh, because they're afraid of a little bit of rain uh, that might come down. Uh, and while they're sitting there in their house, uh, Sister Katrina got up out of the bed uh, and said, I don't care uh, what the doctor said. Uh, I don't care what my body feels like. Uh, I don't care what I'm going through. Uh, I've got to praise him because uh, I'm believing God uh, for a turnaround. Uh, somebody that's in this building uh, and you're believing God for a turnaround. Uh, I dare you to jump out of your seat right now. Uh,
one more time and give him the praise. Ooh. All right, all right. We'll try it one more time. High five somebody on the way to your seat. Tell him I can't help myself. <laughs> I got to give him praise. You might be able to sit there if you want to, but I got to give him praise. You might be able to keep a straight face, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. Anybody grateful to feel what we feel in the sanctuary of God this morning? Amen. I want to take just a moment. You can be seated. I want to take just a moment to say what a privilege and an honor it is today to have all of our guests that are with us in the house of the Lord. Would you help me one more time, Rock Church, put your hands together and give God a great big praise. for all. Oh, we could do a little bit better than that. Come on, help me make all of our guests welcome in the house of the Lord this morning. We are absolutely honored that you would come and spend Sunday morning with us worshiping together in the house of the Lord. And if this is your very first time here at the Rock Church, when you walked into the lobby this morning, you should have received a VIP invitation card that looks like the one on the screen. 
And if you walked in this morning as a first-time guest and you didn't receive one, if you just slip your hand up in the air really quick, one of our staff members will bring one to you. But this is an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service. That is, if you're not already being baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. I'll just put that out there. But we want to invite you to join us. We have a room prepared for you. We've got some light refreshments and a small gift we'd like to give you just as a token of our appreciation for having you in service with us today. And uh, we have a little policy around here. And I, I know that it's not appropriate to impose policies on your guest, but we have a very important policy that we want to make you aware of this morning. And the policy is simply this, that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the door. After that, you're just at home. Amen, Rock Church. So I need your help this morning. I want you to make a 360-degree turn and tell everybody you can reach, welcome home this morning. Come on, tell them, welcome home. Welcome home, welcome home. They're behind you, they're in front of you. They're beside you. Welcome home, welcome home. Amen. So wonderful to look up and see a few familiar faces uh, walk through the house of the Lord. It's good to have the Fowler family with us this morning. All the way from Pueblo, Colorado. They traveled in early for Impact Youth Conference, and it's, it's wonderful to have them in service with us this morning. And then this week, uh, brother and sister Condor and their precious family. Again, all the way from Pueblo, Colorado, came in early for the conference, and we're so excited that they're here with us today, and so many other guests and visitors that are here. What a blessing it is to have you in the house of the Lord with us today. Amen. Anybody excited about what's happening this week? Come on, are you excited about what's happening this week? My, 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 my. People are converging here from all over the country and even from other countries to come and participate in one of the greatest gatherings in our country, Impact International Youth Conference. Amen. I know we call it a youth conference, but it's a conference for everybody. And uh, it's going to be an incredible time. You don't want to miss a single service this week. God's going to do some amazing things. Please avail yourself of uh, early registration for the Friday night event and, uh, and to the early opportunity to get your uh, impact shirt after the service this morning. And uh, we're looking forward to a great time. It is such an honor this morning for me to welcome into this house all the way from Rialto, California, one of my heroes in the faith. It is such a blessing to have Bishop Larry Booker with us in the house of the Lord this morning. Can we give him a great big Rock Church welcome this morning? Come on, knock his socks off with your love this morning. I have been acquainted with this incredible giant in God's kingdom, no pun intended, really from the very, very earliest days of my walk with God. I believe that I was just a short 
few months into living for God, when Bishop Larry Booker came to our town, our city, and preached a crusade. And I remember sitting in the chair, a brand new teenage convert, and my life was left with an indelible mark from the very first time I sat under the auspices of this man's ministry. I've looked up to him for many years. It was at a distance and looked up to him as such a hero of the faith and listening to him preach and watching how he would carry himself amongst people and brethren. And as only God can do in such an amazing way as the years begin to roll on, God provided me the incredible privilege of being connected to him in an even greater and closer way. And uh, I've had the distinct privilege many times of preaching in their local assembly. And every time I have been there, it has always felt like I was right here. And uh, there is a, a powerful, world-changing church in Rialto, California uh, that this man has cast such great vision. Now his son has picked up the mantle and is doing such an amazing job leading that congregation in that church under the oversight of Bishop Booker. And um, Bishop Booker is a worldwide speaker whose uh, presence is in great, great, great demand all across our country. I have been trying for over seven years since I've been here <laughs> to get him here, and uh, it's just always uh, tricky trying to make the stars align. And uh, Bishop Booker is not only an incredible preacher, bishop, pastor, um, he is also a very esteemed author who has authored several books, five or six books, I believe. I don't remember the exact count. He's several books he's authored, and uh, so most of those books are available uh, in our bookstore. And I'm just going to throw this out here: uh, I did not think ahead of bolstering up our inventory of his books before he came. So some of you that race the quickest to the bookstore, not before we dismiss. <laughs> We'll be able to buy all of the books that are there, and perhaps you can get him to sign your book before, uh, before he leaves. But we are going to do something unique uh, starting tonight, and then he is going to be with us again on Tuesday night. Amen. The Lord willing. The Lord willing. Hey, the way things are going, folks, God may come back before Tuesday night. And if he does, we'll party on the other side. Amen. But I'm certain those books that are in the bookstore will be gone in a flash after service. So tonight after service and on Tuesday, uh, we're going to have a table set up with somebody attending the table. And what you will be able to do is order any of those books that he has available. Uh, we'll see if we can get maybe one copy of each for you to look at. And if you will uh, pay your money for the book, put your order in, then Bishop Booker uh, will privately sign all of those books, personally sign them, and that book can be 
shipped back here for you to pick up, and you'll want to avail yourself of those books. One of those books we have used in our, uh, in our book club meeting. How many of you remember reading through What a Difference a Line Can Make? <clears throat> Life-changing book. I was actually in the very uh, the church service. May have not been the first time, but maybe the first time he preached it on a national stage in PSR 1996, 1996, and uh, I was in the room the day that he preached, what a difference a line can make, and uh, I just, I could go on for hours uh, about how much this great man means to me. He comes from the same town that I grew up in. He grew up in the same rough town. Uh, good things can come out of Pueblo, Colorado. Amen. There's something about that city that produces some God things, and um, it is such a privilege to have him here. We want him to come today. We don't care how long he takes. We have set aside this time, and we have come in great expectation for what the Lord is going to do in this house. I wonder if you could stand with me all across this house. I believe that before this service is over, Something life-changing is about to take place in this sanctuary. And I wonder if all across this house we could just lift our hands in the presence of the Lord. And while our hands are lifted, would you begin to lift up your voice in his presence? Let's pray. Come on, lift up your voice and ask God, would you speak to us today as Bishop Booker comes to deliver the word of the Lord. Somebody give God a great praise in this house. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. Oh, mighty God. Mighty God, mighty God. God bless you. I want to let you be seated for just a moment. going to drag this out, but I do want to say we love your pastor and his wife and family very, very, very much, and uh, I do remember, I have known Brother Williams since, since right at he got saved, and I want to say to you, um, those of you who were guests for the first five minutes that you got here, that uh, what you see in him uh, is what you have got since the day I met him and he was a teenage boy that came to Jesus. God plucked him just in the nick of time uh, before the trouble he'd already got in began to roll down the hill and snowball into some catastrophes. God got him. And so his zeal, his burden, his passion, this isn't some new thing. It's been on him for long season. Long season. Furthermore, and I don't need to say this, but it's one of the things that has impressed me about this man, his family, because I, I know what he was doing this. It wasn't just him. Um, it was him and his.
his good wife, but when he was evangelizing, contrary to popular belief, when you evangelize, there is no money left over to be put in any, in any Swiss bank accounts. Trust me, you hear me? You hub it. You hub it. And, uh, and God was good to us when we were evangelizing. And when the, I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. That, um, and it's not, it's not to brag, but when we left, when we got off the field, there wasn't 99, there wasn't 101. I have, I have a list of 100 places that wanted me to come. But I'm telling you, when we got off the field, there was no, <clears throat> and we were, there was no money left over. Do you hear me? So the reason I said that is I've been in meetings with him when he, his wife and his children were much smaller. Much, they're small. They're not small now, but they were little. And offerings being taken up and needs being brought forth. And I've watched him time and again, and I knew he didn't have the money. And I knew it, it, and stand up and give and give and give and give. And um, that, I never knew an evangelist that gave like he did. So... I'm just telling you, you got the real deal here, folks. You got the real deal. And, uh, and I've also learned uh, a man can't give like that very long without his wife's acquiescence. <laughs> she, was, she was with him all the way. So you got the real deals. You got the real deals. And so we love and appreciate them and are exceedingly thankful for them. We do come from the same town of Pueblo. Pueblo is a, quite a city. It's not a sweet town. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's not known for being sweet. <laughs> and um, and, and I, I lived on the south side and he lived on the east side. And the south side and the east side did not get along good. They just, but I was, I was in a generation way ahead of him. But uh, that was probably good for both of us. It was a mercies of Jesus to both of us. But now we're in a kingdom where it is sweet. And it is good. And it is kind. And, and only God can do that. And that's the, that's the wonderful God we serve. I'm going to ask for us to stand, and we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. The book of Luke, chapter number 15. I deeply appreciate the seven years of invitations. <laughs> and, and I wasn't playing hard to get. It was just, and I didn't realize till today. When uh, he was preaching for us, and I said, okay, let's set a date. And I said, I can do such a, I had no idea that impact was going to be on the tail of this. Oh, bless your hearts. You talk, it's not like you're not busy. I mean, duh. So anyway, I guess it could have been a better time, but we're happy. We're happy. We're happy to be here. And um, what I've seen of your city it's old, it's classic. I'm sure there's rough parts, 
where I live, Rialto, California. Sometimes I'm traveling and they say, so where are you from? I say, Rialto. They say, oh, that sounds pretty. I said, it sounds pretty. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. But what a, what a, what a, it's your streets, it's just beautiful, beautiful place. You live in a beautiful place. Amen. They need to put some outside air conditioning, but other than that, it's really, really nice. Thank God. And if you see me sitting when everybody else is running and jumping, the spirit is willing. The knees are weak. The spirit's willing. The knees are weak. I used to be able to stand still and jump almost this high. That day's over. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could get off the ground. But anyway, Jesus is here. He's good to us. Luke 15, verse number 8. Either what woman, having ten <clears throat> pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, <clears throat> doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when, <clears throat> and when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's ask God one more time to touch us with his word and his spirit. Each of us deeply and profoundly. God, we love you. We commit this service, we commit our lives we commit this word entirely to you. For you to work, for you to touch, for you to minister. As we've seen you, God, thousands upon thousands of times, so God worked very profoundly and deeply and powerfully and richly, redeemingly. God, here this morning, Commit this into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, everyone, so very, 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 very much. We are reading from the book of books, the Bible, the all-time best-seller ever, by far, by America prints a hundred, the world actually prints 100 million Bibles every year. 25 million, we're not talking about, we're not talking about um, the electronic Bibles, just, just Bibles like this. 25 million are sold every year in the United States alone. The point being that this is the all-time bestseller of all time, all time, all time, all time bestsellers. And um, 
in a nation that purchases that many Bibles, I'm sad to say it's probably one of the least read Bibles. And it's, it's a virtual treasure chest, and it's a treasure map to lead us to the eternal, unending, unfolding, eternal treasure chest of joy, peace, righteousness, and glory. We're reading from a special book. We're also reading from one of those special books of that special book, the book of Luke. Unique in its own right, it's a gospel of Jesus Christ. We're reading from the 15th chapter, which is a very special chapter in that book. It's where Jesus gives us, among other things, three parables. There's a parable of the lost sheep, the parable of this lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. So the lost sheep speaks of a shepherd who having um, a flock of a hundred, one goes missing and he leaves the 90 and 9, no doubt, as David did with a keeper. And then he goes and makes his way until he finds that lost sheep, brings it back and there's great joy. Then he speaks of this and then of this lost coin that is come up missing and uh, she seeks diligently in modern vernacular. She's turning on the flashlights. She's looking under the beds. She's sweeping everywhere. She's going through the dirt of the vacuum cleaner to see if possibly it got swept up in there. And she does so and does so and does so until she finds it. Then she has a party and everybody's happy. The last parable is the prodigal son, the son who receives his inheritance ahead of time. By and by, he tells his father, brother, family goodbye. He leaves, he goes into a far country. He squanders his riches with not righteous, riotous living. And um, no doubt if he were writing letters back home, he'd be telling his brother and others, Having a great time. Wish you were here. My only regret is I didn't leave sooner. But the Bible says his money ran out. And guess what happened next? His friends ran out. And then the Bible says a famine arose. And let me tell you, regardless of what anybody tells you when they walked out on God, it's not a matter of if. It's just when. The famine always arises. It's just a matter of time. And uh, it may be a famine of sorrow, of filled with pain, emptiness, but you hear me, they may have money, but there is a famine, and they know it right well. Then uh, he comes to himself in the hog pen, and he makes his way back to his father's house. Well, the three objects of this parable, it talks about the three conditions of lostness. And the sheep that was estranged from the flock was lost. That sheep knew it was lost. Not even a It knew it was away from the flock, and, but, but it didn't know how to get back home. 
There are people that are lost and they know they are lost, but they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do with it. They, they know the world is upside down, inside out, but they can't. They don't know how to. Then there's the lost coin. That was an inanimate thing that it was lost, but didn't know it was lost. And there are people that are like that. They're lost, but they don't even realize they're lost. And so somebody's got to find them. And then there's the prodigal son that was lost, absolutely knew he was lost, but knew where the father's house was. And he knew what he had to do to get back, and he did so. So it's not the first or the last, but it's this middle parable that I want to talk to us about. This woman who has a piece of silver, I've made mention of it being a coin, I tend to think it was probably a coin rather than a chunk of silver. It's much easier to lose a coin than it is to lose a chunk of silver, I would guess. I, I've lost a lot of coins, I can tell you that. And um, so she realizes that it is gone. She's had 10 pieces of silver, and one day she, she goes through her, her, her box where she keeps it or wherever, and she realizes there's only nine there. And so she diligently begins the search. Amen. Now this parable Jesus is talking about in his time frame, the era in which he was robed in flesh. And it was not my mother's day. It was not in the days of my wife. It's a different day than what we live in today. And these coins are not just 10 coins. Uh, there's significance to this. It is, it is uh, believed customary that, that these silver coins were probably part of a, a dowry type situation involved in things being done whereby the engagement was cemented, amen, and and became official, and then the marriage came. And so these were emblematic, uh, very possibly, of, of her actual marriage. She did not wear them. They were just, they were just kept somewhere uh, in light of that. This is the reason that when she lost it, it was really a big deal. It was a big deal. I don't know how big the piece of silver was, uh, if it had been real big, she, it'd been easier to find. So we're not talking about a large piece of silver. Again, the the value was more in 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 its meaning than it was in its actual value. And I and I that's also proved by the fact that when she finds it, <clears throat> she calls her friends and neighbors, and they come to the house and they rejoice. Now, if I lost it, if I lost. Uh, if I lost a, let's just say, let's just say I lost a hundred dollar bill. Be hard to do. <laughs> I have to get it first. But anyway, uh, but if I lost a hundred dollar bill and I, I remember one time when we were, my wife and I hadn't been married long, I misplaced my wallet. The license was there. I didn't have any credit cards in those days. And uh, there was a $10 bill in that wallet. That $10 bill 
like $1,000 in that time. We talked about that. It, it was a big deal. And then, and I lost it. And we thought we had searched everywhere. And it was about eight or nine months later, I dropped a, an ink pen. I was sitting on the couch and I was writing the ink pen, slid down. And I reached down to get the ink pen. I knew it was between the cushion and the deal. And I felt something. And it was my billfold. And the $10 was there. I didn't say, Brenda, I found my driver's license. I said, I got the $10 back. Now, uh, if it's $10 or $100, if I would have called, in my case, all of the church people over and said, I found my $10. Rejoice with me. You called me over here for this. So when you invite people over for a party and they're really going to rejoice, you got to feed them. You got to feed them. You got to have food. You got to have refreshments. You got you to to have a party. You got to have a party. And, and, they're, and they're, they're sitting there probably saying, I could care less about your coin. But boy, that's good chicken. Oh, that's good. And have a party. So whatever her party cost her, it took away from what she found. If it, was, if it was worth $100, how much is a party going to cost you? You got the picture? She, brought, she invited all her friends and neighbors. This was a shindig. And, and, and here they were. So, so she spent money, perhaps even more than the intrinsic value of the coin. Amen. Just so, so there was something... There was something there that was a big deal. Now, for years, I have had, um, it's more than a custom. It's, it's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me. And that is, in any of my travels or up at, at home, meaning Rialto, uh, on any parking lot, church parking lot, sidewalk place when I see a penny regardless of its condition or how yucky looking its surroundings are I pick it up the reason I pick it up is not for its value obviously it's a way that I seriously I, every time I pick it up I say, Jesus, I do this in memorial to you for your goodness to me, for your mercy to me. Because I remember, I know what it is to be poor. I really do. When I was uh, little, I didn't realize I was poor. Now kids are open. And... Um, but I was, uh, I lived in a house about as wide as this riser. And from there to here, it was a dirt floor, rock, rock, 
uh, walls, the same rock. This was this side of the rock, the inside of the house, and the other side of the rock was the outside of the house. And uh, they were, I don't know if they were cemented together, I guess they were something. I got a picture of it. And a tin roof, rusty tin roof, one, the hole up in the center of the tin roof that the smoke, I remember watching my mother cook uh, dinner in a Folgers coffee can, and hopefully the smoke would go up out of that hole. There was one wall in that house, and it was an army blanket that hung down, and that was the only wall in the house. Me and my brother and my mother, my grandma and grandpa lived there. We didn't live all, all that long, maybe eight or nine months, something like that. And uh, it, it did have a restroom. It was out back, and it was a shack. And if at all possible, you wanted to go there in the daytime before the ghosts came out at night and the, and the creepy crawly things that were mostly in your head, but nevertheless, they were there. We had running water. Down the hill from us, there was a well with a pump, and my brother and I would run a five-gallon bucket down there, and then we'd run it back up. That was the running water, amen. And so, but we were poor, but I didn't know we was poor. I just didn't, I didn't know we were poor. I, I, a couple of years ago, the house is still there, Brother William, from there in Florence. And so I've taken different ones there. Of course, Brother Elder and, and uh, Joel. And when my boys were little, I took them there and then, then took my grandson there. He wanted to see it. And uh, so I pick up pennies just to tell Jesus I remember where you brought me from. And uh, then when we were... We were married. I mean, again, the $10 bill lost was like broke. And uh, I remember when we pastored our first church, a place called Miami, Oklahoma. <laughs> I have to clarify that everywhere I go, but especially here. And uh, so the first year that I pastored, when it came to the end of the year and we were doing our taxes, and I was working a secular job, and I was, I was figuring out how much I had to put into the church to keep it rolling versus what I was able to uh, keep from the church. And, and I figured out, and uh, so then I, I, I divided, because in those days we were doing uh, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I divided it up, and I figured out what I actually made my first year of pastoring was 44 cents a service. And, uh, and uh, then I was, uh, for, I'm sorry, 42 cents a service, 42 cents a service. And so several months later, I had a Nelson study Bible. This is from the 70s, mind you. And uh, so I'm, I'm going through it. And I seen a note where Saul he and his servant were out looking for the, his father's asses that had been lost, and they're trying to find them. And so the servant said, here's Ramah. Let's go there. There's a seer there. His name is Samuel. And, and let's ask him. Maybe he can tell us something about, about the lost uh, asses. And he said, he said I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anything to give him. Do you have anything? He said, I have the fourth part of a shekel that I could give him. So a shekel cut into fourths, 
And in the Nelson Study Bible, I'm reading that, and I notice on the note on the side, the value in the 70s of a fourth part of a shekel was 42 cents. And I said, thank you, Jesus. If it's good enough for Samuel, it's good enough for me. Praise God. So I've had this, this deal many years, many years. I mean, just recently, I was going down, um, I don't know what they call it. I, I call it a gangplank. But anyway, to me anymore, going into an airplane is like walking down a gangplank. But anyway, I'm going down and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not moving as fast as everybody wants to go. Um, and it's a southwest flight. And so the quicker they get there, the better seat and all that stuff. And I'm going, and everybody's behind me, and there's a penny. And so I set my bag here, and a penny's a lot further down than it used to be. And I have to bend knees that November I get one worked on, and January the other, I guess. And, uh, and so I work my way down, and, and these guys are looking at me like, Dude, and I and I I get the penny, I get my bag, and I look at the guy behind me, and I said, I know it sounds stupid, but it's a it's a God thing with me and memory, whatever that meant to him, and I'm, and this guy behind him said, Yeah, I keep them in a bottle too. So anyway, so I've done that, I've done that. I've picked them up every. Where? Everywhere. I've told God, wherever I see one, God, I'll do it. And I remember the time. There was a penny at the bottom of a commode. Thankfully, it had been flushed. And I said, Jesus, I told you. And I rolled up my sleeve. I took off my coat. I rolled off my sleeve. And I got it. And I went to the sink. I turned on the hot water, I let it get hot, I squeezed soap, I hadn't washed my hands this good in years. All through COVID, I never washed my hands like this. And, 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 and I, I washed and washed and then I got paper towels, I dried my hands and then I dried that thing till it was, I rubbed Abe's head clean and slapped it in some paper and put it in my pocket. Because I told him I would do it, and, and it's, just, it's just, a little, just a little deal. It's not for the value <clears throat> of the penny, as we know. Uh, now, when I was a boy, pennies had value. I don't know how old the oldest of you are here. Most of you have no idea what I'm about to talk about. But I remember when I was a boy that you could buy several different kind of candies for one penny. Them days are over. They are over. You could buy pieces of bubble gum, double bubble. 
bubble gum for a penny. You can buy little pieces of licorice. You can buy jawbreakers, literally, for a penny, peppermint sticks. You can buy little pieces of taffy. Even there were some places you could get lollipops. There were, in those days, penny games at, at various carnivals. For two pennies, you could ride merry-go-rounds. And for five pennies, try this today. You could get a Hershey bar. Sometimes even an ice cream bar. Pennies are not what they used to be. In the late 1800s, a U.S. penny, its value in today's money was $2.38. That was the buying power of a penny back in the late 1800s. Today, you can buy nothing for a penny. In fact, it takes 1.55% cost of a penny to make a penny. Amen. So it's over 50% more the value of a penny to even make a penny. And you say, well, why does the government make pennies? Well, they're starting to get out of it. But the reason that they make pennies is for, it's a tax break for us. It, li it literally is. It costs them more to make a penny than its, than its intrinsic value. But uh, sales taxes, when you, when you go to buy something, in some cities, it's 6%. That's a nickel and a penny, 7 cents. In California, it's 9 cents. And, uh, and so that, that adds up. And so a, a penny, if they take away the pennies, everything is going to go nickels and dimes. It's a huge tax increase. So that's the only reason they even make pennies. You can buy nothing with a single penny. It's for tax purposes. You got to get a bunch of them to do that. But every now and then, I know this is hard to believe what I'm about to say. I mean, I know I don't want to shock you, but every now and then the government makes mistakes. I, I know I bring out the smelling salts. I, I know it's hard. Hard to wrap your head around that. But every now and then they don't get it quite right. One thing they did, 1995, the U.S. Philadelphia Mint uh, created, and they don't really know how many, but there were several thousands of flawed pennies that made it out into circulation. And uh, it's almost kind of, to me, it's almost prophetic. But what the flaw was, the words, in God we trust, were blurred. So, that's what happened. But they, already, they made it out in the circulation. Nobody caught it until it was over. And they're not sure how many were blurred. And uh, so, that 1995 U.S. Philadelphia penny with in God we trust blurred, Today, if you find one in poor condition, it's worth $175. If you find one in mint condition, it's worth at least $225. Now, I'm going to throw some things your way. If the value of that penny, amen, instead of $225, 
was just a dollar, it would be a hundred times its worth or the interest value on that would be 10,000% interest increase. Okay? If it was worth a hundred dollars, it's 10,000 times. Okay? $225 is not quite, but it's almost 25,000 times. Or the interest value is almost two and a half million percent interest. If you just saw that penny flawed and put it in your bank and said, someday, I wonder if I get a little interest on that, today the interest you would have got two and almost two and a half million percent interest increase. Try that with Walmart stock. But that's the value of it. If you find one of those pennies. But this is the way life works. Of all those thousands, and then there were several thousands of those pennies, they're not worth anything at all. Ever. Nobody finds it. It has to be found. If nobody finds it, then like other pennies, they just tend to go through their penny lifespan, i.e. they're handed, they go from hand to hand, from cash register to cash register, pocket to pocket, purse to purse, until somewhere, someplace, sometime, finally it's, it's wore out or it gets lost in a parking lot, on a street, on a sidewalk, in a gutter. And if nobody picks it up, amen, time goes by and it's got swept up into a street cleaner somewhere. It's taken to a dump somewhere. It's thrown in the dump. It's lost forever. And its value has been nothing, and now it's nothing for the ceaseless ages. Well, we're not here to talk about U.S. pennies. But we are here to talk about Jesus, and we're here to talk about you and I. Amen. And we're here to talk about lost souls. And here is the title of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a, a bad penny found. Bad penny found. Because that 1995 Philadelphia Mint penny actually is a bad penny. It's a bad penny. But it's a bad penny that has taken on unbelievable intrinsic worth if it's found. And the finder thereof knows what they have found. And can I tell you something? You got a bad penny preaching to you today, and this bad penny is preaching to a bunch of bad pennies. But Jesus knew our worth. He knew you were valuable. He knows you're valuable. You're not a 
penny that's yet to be found. That's why he brought you here today. And I don't believe you stumbled in here. And I don't believe your, your grandma or your cousin or your daughter or your sister twisted your arm up strong enough to get you in here. I believe Jesus brought you here. Because he loves you. And in, in the eternal scale of things, until he finds us, we're really all, I'm sorry, but we're pretty useless. You say, oh, no, not me, Jesus. Mm -mm. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good wage earner. I'm a good father. I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good mother. I'm a decent son. I'm a decent daughter. I have obtained certain positions, maybe a high position. Maybe you're rich. Maybe you drive the best. Maybe you live in the best. Maybe you wear the best. Maybe you eat the best. And if you want to know what that does for you in the end, it might get you a nice headstone. Go out to the cemeteries around here, and, and, and there's, there's proper cemeteries. I know they're around here. Every city's got them somewhere. But you can go to other cemeteries, and then there's folks with little headstones, and there might be a name with a beginning date and an end date. And that little line in between, that's the lifespan. That's the lifespan. Mine would be 1952 to, well, I don't, I don't want to live to be 100, I can tell you that much. But anyway, whatever it is, that little space there between a little line, that's, 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 that's the life. And so the headstone may be small. Or it may be ornate, it may be big, it may have angels in it. I remember going, visiting a Jewish cemetery there in Pueblo. Because uh, there was a rabbi there buried, Abraham Rach, and I became his good, good friend. He was going to write the uh, foreword for the second book of David. Guy. And uh, he was a good friend. Every Tuesday afternoon... In two to five hours, we'd spend together, and uh, he talked about everything. It's quite a, quite a story. Maybe I'll talk about it Tuesday. I don't know. But be that as it may, and he was from Pueblo. He was from Pueblo. My dad actually knew him and had met him, and so he went back to Pueblo from Santa Maria, and uh, there's the the uh, Orthodox synagogue, and then. And then you go down a little bit on Elizabeth, there's that beautiful reformed synagogue. And it's because it's, it was a synagogue split years ago, and the reformed is very liberal, and, and the, the orthodox was conservative. And so he went back. He left Santa Maria. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to be rabbi of both. He said, but I told both of them. They both wanted me, and because he was modern orthodox. Like he, was, he said, he said, I will do it on the condition that within two years you come back together. They said, we'll do it. I said, Rabbi, they're lying to you. They're not coming back together. You hear me? They're not going to do it. He said, oh, no, they said they would. Well, they're still not, and he's in the grave. All right. So I went to go see his grave, and it's a long story. But the guy, the guy that took us in there, and me and... I said, was it you? No. It, I think it was Jeremy Wilbanks. But anyway, so we're going through this, this Jewish cemetery, and it's all wired up and locked up. And ornate. Beautiful. 
I'm looking at headstones with angels carved on it and stains and Old Testament scriptures. And, and I'm looking and said, oh my, that's really something. Ah, I knew that woman. She had a mouth as big as Dallas. I said, that's a beautiful thing. That guy was a chump. He said, I know all these people. I said, Why did you bring that story up? Because even having a nice, nice covering over your grave don't mean. I'll tell you what's important. It's what Jesus can do in a life. It's if he finds us on the walkway. It's if, he, if he's willing to pick us up. Hallelujah. There is something about this God. I'm going to tell you some people. Some people. That had to be found. One was a baby in the bulrushes. His name was Moses. God saw to it that baby got found. Because God wanted him. The Almighty, as Abraham Lincoln said, the Almighty has his own purposes. Amen. And, and Moses became the one to lead him out of Egypt and to take him to the promised land. David was a shepherd boy that wouldn't even be invited to the town parties. But God saw that boy out there and made him the greatest king in Israel. Elijah was a Tishbite, whatever that was, and made him one of the greatest prophets. Amos said, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I was a picker of sycamore fruit, which was a lowly job. But God said, no, I want you to be a prophet for me. And Simon and, Simon and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. And the night Jesus found them, they weren't exactly successful. But their names are on pillars. And there's foundations in the, in the city called by their names. He found them. He's a finder of bad pennies. Timothy lived in what is today Turkey, <clears throat> and his mother was Jewish, but his father was a Greek. But Paul came through preaching, and later Paul would call Timothy an apostle. He was a teenage boy that God found, a penny. And the guy that found him, Saul of Tarsus, was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, he was compelling Christians, trying to get them to blaspheme. If they wouldn't, he'd kill them. He held the coats of those that stoned Stephen to death. And while he's on his way to Damascus to do more of the same, a bright light hits him, knocks him down to his knees. And a voice says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus. And he could have said, and I'm in the bad penny business. And I think you're about the worst penny I've seen in a long time. And then the man repents three days. He's blind. He's baptized in Jesus' name. We know he got the Holy Ghost. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. And he goes to the desert, and he's there for three years. And Barnabas comes to get him. He said, come with me. Where are we going? 
I'm going to take you to Antioch. I don't know if that's a good idea. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, but we're, we're connecting some dots. The reason there was a church in Antioch was because people like Saul of Tarsus persecuted the saints in Jerusalem so bad. They, many fled for their lives, but they took this one God, Jesus name, apostolic, Holy Ghost, truth, and many of them went to Antioch. And it became, in a sense, kind of like the Jerusalem of the world of Turkey. And he said, no, no, I want, and so I can see in my mind's eye Barnabas saying, we have a special speaker here today that I, I'm going to bring here in just a moment. I, he's very learned and uh, a lot of experience. And Jesus met him. Revealed himself to him. He was baptized by none other than Ananias, Damascus. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I want to bring to this pulpit Saul of Tarsus. And he comes. There's a, there's a woman out there saying, if you were going to save him, why didn't you save him before he killed my husband? And somebody else struggling. I wish my son were here today to hear you. But you put him in the grave. Maybe somebody related to Stephen. I hope he does well. Probably one. How many coats you carrying today? So when it speaks of him being brought to Antioch, do you know what the very next verse says? They were first called Christians in Antioch. You can't forgive. Forgiveness is something very Christian. Father, forgive them! And so that bad penny, before it was over, if he wrote the book of Hebrews, I lean that he did. Nobody can prove he did it. But if he did, he wrote over half the New Testament books. And the bad penny became the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles, which is why we're here today. Yeah. Brother Williams, I've known some bad pennies. Well, one of them was a preacher that in the 60s had a church of over 900. Over 40 preachers came out from under him. His his brothers, seven brothers, excuse me, he was, there was, he was the oldest of seven children. His brothers and sisters became lawyers, doctors, professors, 
wealthy businessmen. But I.H. Terry, he said, Booker, when God found me, I was a pearl diver. Meaning, I worked at a truck stop washing dishes and then big old heavy ceramic plates that looked like pearl. He said, I'd dive down in that hot, hot water and get them, scrub them. He said, my, my, all my siblings were getting top grades in school and starting college, and here I was as a pearl diver. And he said, I, I came home. He said, I came home and I seen a note on the mirror. And he thought, oh, no. And the note on the mirror said, Ike, I went to the Pentecostal church last night. Because he worked a night shift. I'm at the church now praying. There's going to be service tonight. I got the Holy Ghost. You want to see me get baptized? Come see me tonight. If you're not interested... That's your choice. I'm going on with God. You do what you want to do. Well, this bad penny went to church. And that bad penny went to the altar. And that bad penny was baptized in Jesus' name. It does, it's not hard to get the Holy Ghost. It don't take long, but it took him a while. He got the Holy Ghost, and when A.H. Browning, who was his, was the Texas superintendent and his pastor, said when he went to Bakersfield, I didn't even know he was called to preach. And he built one of the great churches of Pentecost, put out over 40 preachers. It means something for a bad penny to be found by God. And when his daddy came and looked at the building they built and saw what he'd done, that's not even the new one was built. He said, Ike, you've done more than all your brothers and sisters together. What God can do with bad pennies is really, is really trippy. I knew another bad penny. He used to be in the L.A. gangs. He was a gang member and he was bad to the bone. He served time in prison. I know all of his children. His children, two of his daughters, <clears throat> are in my church now. They did not know their father had spent time in prison until they read the biography that he wrote. Dad was in prison. I know, I'm reading it. His name was Carl Ballestero. He was one of the greatest Preachers that ever graced she leather. He was one of the most brilliant men. What he could. One time, brother, I know I'm going slow. I just, I was at my house. We were starting to disperse. You get my age, you start to dispense. But we had 10,000 books in our home. Brother Terry was there one day and he said, Booker, all them books behind you, do you read them or you got them there to make you look smart? I said, I guess to make me look smart, I haven't read hardly any of these. My wife's read most all of them. I've read a few over there. He said, well, I just wondered. He said, I was in Carl Ballesteros' library. He said, he was sitting at his, his desk, it was in his office. He had, the entire wall was a library, entire wall. 
He said, Carl, you got them to make you look smarter. Do you read them? He said, well, pick one out, Brother Terry. He got up. He picked one out. He said, sit down. He sat down and said, what's the name of the book? Told him the name of the book. He said, open it up somewhere, anywhere. I don't care. Start reading. He started reading. He said, stop. He said, right above that, it's talking about thus and so and thus and so. If you go down, it's talking about thus and so and thus and so. Brother Terry checks it out. He said, okay, I was just curious. That was a man that used to stand on the streets of Fresno and preach on street corners. He was a bad penny found, but God knows what to do with bad pennies. We had a funeral two years ago, Brother Ted Molander. Brother Ted Molander was one of the most unique individuals I ever met. When God found that bad penny, he was a bartender and an alcoholic. That's not a good combination. And, uh, but he was, and he was salty. He'd been a sailor. And sailors know how to cuss, and I think he taught several. When he was young, he got, young man, in his 20s, young, he got saved. Told Brother Lehman ran his church to National City. And uh, he was salty. He was character, but he prayed. He prayed, he prayed. He said, Brother Booker, he told our church, he said, you know, I, I had to pray six, seven, eight hours a day. He said, just to keep from cussing. But God used him. God used him. Remember one time, he, his wife told me, and then he told me, he said, yeah. He was starting to learn Spanish. He wanted to start churches in Mexico. Was pastoring in La Puente. Anyway, he, there was a there was a church he would go to and preach, but he'd have to have an interpreter preach Spanish. And one night he stepped to the pulpit and the Lord spoke to him. He said to the interpreter, "You can be seated. I'm going to read your prayer." He said, "Excuse me, I won't need your prayer." One thing to speak a little Spanish, another thing to preach in it. He said he opened his mouth and it flowed like a river. He said people filled the altars, people getting the Holy Ghost. On the way home, he's driving, and the Lord said, I showed you what I can do. Now go learn Spanish. Which he did. He'd go to Mexico, immerse himself, became utterly fluent started six churches in Mexico and they're all going to this day one time there was a church at one time it had been pretty good size but it got down there was about 20 25 people and they were Spanish speaking and they wanted him to come to preach and on the way there God spoke to him so he got up and he preached and there were some people sitting on the front row when he got done preaching, he called a guy's name. I want, and he called a, a Spanish name. It was a unique one. He said, stand up, wherever you are, stand up. The guy was on the front row. He was 19 years old. He stood up. He said, you're the next pastor of this church. He said, I, 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 don't, know. I'm, I don't know if I'm called to preach. 
He said, on the way here, God gave me your name and told me you're the next pastor. Today, that church is running over a 1,000. And I'm telling you, when God found him, he was a bad penny. When he first got in church, he was so rough. One day, his pastor, Lehman Reynolds, who I love dearly, he called him in. He said, Ted, sit down. He said, Ted, you got a problem. Okay. The problem is there's people in this church don't like you. He said, yes, sir. He said, but that's not your problem. He said, okay, what's my problem? He said, I'm one of them. But God kept washing that bad penny and using that bad penny down through the decades. He's in the bad penny business. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what your name is. And speaking of bad pennies, amen, the night I came to church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, my hair was down to here, my pants was a conglomeration of patches sewed together, my shirt was unbuttoned, please God, I hope I had a t-shirt on. I know I didn't have socks on. I don't think I had shoes on. My pastor said, I think you might have had sandals on. And I came in from Pueblo, Colorado, and I was a mess. I'd been on probation. I was 19 then. I was on probation from the time I was 14 till I was 21. I was in and out of jail a lot. We were idiots. I was stoned or drunk. From the middle of my ninth grade year till the year after I graduated, almost a year after I graduated. Every single day, except for one six-week period of time, every day. I watched my mother's hair turn gray. And it had been dark brown in the course of one year. As every night, starting about 11 o'clock, she would sit down to the police radio they had in their house waiting for my name to be called, which it was quite often. Our phones were tapped. I had a friend that we would sell him, we would send him thousand lots of LSD that would be bought up in Boulder for 19 cents a hit or 25 cents a hit. Send him to Vietnam, various and sundry ways. He would get them and sell them to the GIs for $5 a hit, wherewith he would buy pure uncut heroin. And then he had ways of sending it back where it would be cut down and sold and more LSD would be bought. For kicks sometimes we'd go out, we're talking about not just bad pennies, stupid pennies. Stupid pennies. You know, it's pretty stupid to go out into the prairies with 22 pistols and rifles half drunk and shoot cigarettes out of each other's mouths and tin cans off each other's heads. You don't get to the top of the class that way. And in fact, speaking of top of the class, when I graduated, I actually did graduate. I had, for years I dreamt I had a blank diploma, but I actually got one. I had a D minus average. I had one half credit to my good. I made the top 99% of my class possible. I was not a good penny. I was a bad penny. 
it wasn't good. And the night I walked into that home missions church, there was 18 people there, and I became number 19. And those that had kids, when they turned around and saw me walking in the back door, those that had kids scooted them up close. And that night, that bad penny went to the altar. I'd like for our musicians to come. That bad penny went to the altar. And I wept and I sobbed for an hour and a half. Because I'm going to tell you. You say, why did you tell the story about finding a penny in a commode? Because that's where God found me. You talk about needing scrubbed. You talk about needing cleansed. You talk about needing help. You talk about it. Amen. People that were there that night, they told me just a few years ago, in all of our decades, we've never seen anybody cry like you did. And you don't have to like I did. I had, it was an hour and a half. And I remember the man that I, I would from that night forward call my pastor, came and said, how, how are you? son and I I don't know I don't know I was so worthless he said son you think maybe God may have forgiven you but you're not forgiving yourself I said I don't know Let's all stand. So I put my head back down and I cried some more. And then I felt something begin to lift. I knew nothing about nothing. The one six week period of time when I, I wasn't stoned or drunk was when I was in football till I got kicked off the football team. I got kicked off the football team. I had I had two football scholarships going in one year, senior year of football. I got kicked off the team because I wouldn't cut my hair short enough. And they were still willing to give me a scholarship. They said, we'll give you a scholarship in spite of your grades until we got busted for drugs and it made it all over the news stations in Southern Colorado. Well, there went that. But God didn't want me on a football team. He said, I got better things for you. You don't need that. And he reached way down. And when my pastor came back, he said, how do you feel? I said, I think I need a haircut. I didn't know anything about 1 Corinthians. <laughs> On the way out to get baptized in a cow pond in April in Oklahoma. That water was cold, you hear me? And, and they said, Larry, you can get the Holy Ghost. You can get the Holy Ghost. When you come up out of that water, I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel God. And then 
went out there and when they put me under that water, I saw the brightest light I'd ever seen in my life. And I came up and I remembered what a bad penny I was. I was glad I got baptized. It was Easter Sunday night, 1972. This next year will be 50 years. But I did spend my 50th Easter this last year. And so Monday night I went to the church seeking for the Holy Ghost. Tuesday night was service I sought for the Holy Ghost. Wednesday night I went to the church seeking for the Holy Ghost. Thursday night we had service seeking and I was taught for the Holy Ghost. Friday night was a fellowship meeting. And an old brother, long gone now, got up and preached, Jesus, the rock of my salvation. And if anybody needed a rock. And I looked at my buddy. And I said, I'm going to go get the Holy Ghost. And that night, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Bad pennies. You may be here today. You may be a bad penny. You may be here today. You may be a prodigal son. Amen. You may be a sheep. I'm going to tell you, here's the way. He's come to pick you up, put you, put, put you on his shoulders and get you home today. You don't have to be a lost sheep. You don't have to be a bad penny. You don't have to be a prodigal son. We're here today because he loves every one of us. Let's lift our hands and talk to him. Hallelujah. I would be less than a human, let alone a preacher, if I didn't tell you how good God's been to me and not give you a chance to let God be good to you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you've done, sir. I don't care what you've done. Ma'am, God brought you here because he loves you. He knows how. Hey, man, you can come down here. This is an altar call. You can come down here. You can let God do something in your world and something in your life. He knows what he can make you. When you saw that choir up there singing, can I tell you, you were looking at a bunch of bad pennies that God knows what to do with. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. God loves you. He brought you here today. Oh, that's it. That's it. Come on. That's it, son. That's it, man. Come on. Let God do something in your world.
in pieces, God.